Chapter Nine of A Knight of the White Cross by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine, with the galley slaves, Gervais, on consideration, was obliged to own to himself that Ralph was right in saying that he had no ground whatever for suspicion against the Greek he had met as Signor Vrados, and he could see no means of following the matter up it would not he felt be honourable to go again to the merchant's house and to avail himself of his hospitality while watching his guest he determined to dismiss the matter from his mind and had indeed altogether done so when a week later it suddenly recurred to his memory a party of slaves under the escort of overseers and in charge of a knight who had been with them at their work on the fortifications were passing along the street on their way back to barracks it was already dusk and as gervais was going the same way as they were he stood aside in a doorway to let them pass he was on the point of stepping out to follow them when he saw a man who had been standing in the shadow of the wall fall in with their ranks and as he walked engaged in an earnest conversation with one of the slaves he kept beside him for a hundred yards or so, then passed something into the slave's hand, and turned abruptly down a side opening. There were but few people about, and in the growing darkness the action of the man passed unobserved by the overseers. Gervais, thinking the occurrence a strange one, turned down the same lane as the man. He slackened his pace until the latter was fifty yards ahead, so that he would not had he looked round have been able to perceive that it was a knight who was behind him after passing through several streets the man turned into a refreshment house the door stood open and as the place was brightly lit gervais pausing outside was able to see what was going on inside the man he had followed was on the point of seating himself at one of the tables and as he did so gervais recognized him as the greek he had met at the merchant's house he at once walked on a short distance, and then paused to think. The vague suspicions he had before entertained as to the man now recurred with double force. He was certainly in communication with one or more of the slaves, and such communication, so secretly effected, could be for no good purpose. So far, however, there was nothing he could tax the man with. He would probably deny altogether that he had spoken to any of the slaves, and Gervais could not point out the one he had conversed with. At any rate, nothing could be done now, and he required time to think what steps he could take to follow up the matter. He resolved, however, to wait and follow the Greek when he came out. After a few minutes he again repassed the door, and saw that the man was engaged in earnest conversation with another. After considering for a time, Gervais thought that it would be best for him to follow this other man when he left, and ascertain who he was, rather than to keep a watch on the movements of the Greek, who, as likely as not, would now return to the merchants. He walked several times up and down the street, until at last he saw the two men issue out together. They stopped for a moment outside, and then, after exchanging a few words, separated the greek going in the direction of the quarter in which lay the house of Rados, while the other walked towards gervais 
The latter passed him carelessly, but when the man had gone nearly to the end of the street, he turned and followed him. He could see at once that he was a lay brother of the order. This class consisted of men of an inferior social position to the knights. They filled many of the minor offices, but were not eligible for promotion. Following for ten minutes, Gervais saw him approach one of the barracks, or prisons, occupied by the slaves. He knocked at the door, and upon its being opened, at once entered. The matter had now assumed a much more serious aspect. This young Greek, a stranger to Rhodes, was in communication not only with some of the slaves, but with a prison official, and the matter appeared so grave to Gervais that, after some deliberation, he thought it was too important for him to endeavor to follow out alone, and that it was necessary to lay it before the bailiff. Accordingly, after the evening meal, he went up to Sir John Kendall, and asked if he could confer with him alone on a matter over which he was somewhat troubled. The bailiff assented at once, and Gervais followed him to his private apartment. Now, what is this matter, Sir Gervais? he asked pleasantly. Nothing serious, I trust. I don't know, Sir John. That is a matter for your consideration, but it seems to me of such importance that it ought to be brought to your knowledge. The face of the bailiff grew more grave, and seating himself in a chair, he motioned to Gervais to do the same. Now, let us hear what it is, he said. Gervais told his story simply. A slight smile passed across the bailiff's face as he mentioned that he had met the Greek on the roof of the house of Signor Vredos and had not liked the expression of his face. Vredos has some fair daughters, has he not? he asked. Yes, sir, but I know little of them. That is the only visit that I have ever paid there, or indeed to the house of anyone in town. Sir John's face grew grave again as Gervais recounted how he had seen the man enter into communication with a slave, and he frowned heavily when he heard of his meeting afterwards with one of the prison officers. In truth, Sir Gervais, he said after a pause, this seems to be a right serious matter, and you have done wisely in informing me of what you have seen. Assuredly there is mischief of some sort in the wind. The question is how to get to the bottom of it. Of course, the Grand Master might order the arrest of this Greek and of the prison officer. But you may be sure that neither would commit himself unless torture were applied. And I, for one, have no belief in what any man says under such circumstances. The most honest man may own himself a traitor when racked with torture, and may denounce innocent men. It is at best a clumsy device. What think you of the matter? I have hardly thought it over yet, Sir John, and certainly no plan has yet occurred to me. Well, think it over, Sir Gervais. It is not likely that a few days will make any difference, but I will take measures to see that this Greek does not sail away from the island at present, and will speak to the portmaster about it. I will myself give the matter consideration, but as you have shown yourself so quick-witted in following up the matter so far, I rely upon you more than myself to carry it farther. There may possibly be some simple explanation of the matter. He may come from an island where the Turks are masters, 
and has perhaps brought a message from some relatives of a slave as to the talk with the prison officer it may be wholly innocent if we should find that it is so we will keep the matter to ourselves if possible or we shall get finally laughed at by our comrades for having run upon a false scent if on the other hand the matter should turn out to be serious you will assuredly get great credit for having discovered it therefore turn it over in your mind to-night and see if you can arrive at some scheme for seeing further into it before we take any steps in the morning gervais again called upon sir john kendall well sir gervais i hope that you have hit upon some scheme for getting to the bottom of this matter i confess that i myself though i have had a sleepless night over it have not been able to see any method of getting to the root of the affair save by the application of torture i do not know whether the plan i have thought of will commend itself to your opinion sir but i have worked out a scheme which will i think enable us to get to the bottom of the matter i believe that a galley is expected back from a cruise to-day or to-morrow now sir my idea is that i should go on board a small craft under the command of a knight upon whose discretion and silence you can rely such as for example sir john boswell and that we should intercept the galley before we board her i should disguise myself as a turkish slave and as such sir john should hand me over to the officer in command of the galley giving him a letter of private instructions from you as to my disposal if they have other slaves on board i would ask that i should be kept apart from them as well as from the rowers of the galley on being landed i should be sent to the prison where i saw the officer enter last night and the slaves and rowers should be distributed among the other prisons thus then the slaves i should be placed with would only know that i had arrived in the galley with other slaves captured by it i have no doubt i should be able to maintain my assumed character and should in a short time be taken into the confidence of the others and should learn what is going on it would be well of course that none of the officials of the prison should be informed as to my true character for others besides the one i saw may have been bribed to participate in whatever plot is going on and do you mean to say sir gervais that you a knight of the order are willing to submit to the indignity of being treated as a slave to keep up the disguise long enough to be taken into the confidence of the plotters you might have to stay there for some time and if the prison officials believe you to be but an ordinary slave you will be put to work either on the walls or in one of the galleys i am ready to do anything for the benefit of the order and the safety of roads that will meet with your approval gervais replied it will no doubt be unpleasant but we did not enter the order to do pleasant things but to perform certain duties and those duties necessarily involve a certain amount of sacrifice do you think you would be able to maintain the character because you must remember that if detected you might be torn in pieces by the slaves before the officers could interfere to protect you i feel sure that i can do so sir john what story would you tell them i would say that i had come from syria and sailed from acre in a trader which is perfectly true and also that i was taken off the ship i was on by a galley which would not be altogether false as i crossed one as i landed i think there would be very little questioning for i should pretend to be in a state of solemn despair 
and give such short answers to questions that i should soon be left alone the scheme is a good one sir gervase though full of danger and difficulty if you are ready to render this great service to the order i willingly accept the sacrifice you offer to make i will send one of my slaves down into the town to buy garments suitable for you and also stains for your skin it will of course be necessary for you to shave a portion of your head in turkish fashion i will also see sir john boswell and ask him to arrange for a craft to be ready to start at noon the galley is not expected in until evening but of course she may arrive at any moment now come here again in an hour's time and i will have the clothes ready for you may i suggest sir that they should be those appropriate to a small merchant this might seem to account for my not being placed with the other slaves who may be on board the galley as it would be supposed that i was set apart in order that i should be sent to one of the aberges as a servant and my afterwards being herded with the others would be explained by its being found that there was no opening for me in such a capacity i should think there would be no difficulty in obtaining such a suit as garments of all kinds are brought here in prizes and are bought up by some of the greek merchants who afterwards find opportunities of dispatching them by craft trading among the islands just before noon gervais walked down to the port with sir john boswell a servant following with a bundle it seems to me a hair-brained scheme lad sir john who had just joined him said as they issued from the aberge though i own from what the bailiff tells me that there must be some treacherous plot on hand and when that is the case it is necessary that it should be probed to the bottom but for a knight to go in the disguise of an infidel slave seems to me to be beyond all bounds if one is ready to give one's life for the order sir john surely one need not mind a few weeks inconvenience i shall at any rate be no worse off than you were when serving as a turkish slave well no i don't know that you will sir john replied doubtfully but that was from necessity and not from choice and it is moreover an accident we are all exposed to it is surely better to do a thing of one's own free will than because one is forced to do it sir john the knight was silent he was a stout fighting man but unused to argument well he said after a long pause i can only hope that it will turn out all right i promise that if you are strangled in prison i will see that every slave who had a hand in it shall be strung up i have told kendall frankly that if i were in his place i would not permit you to try such a venture however i could think of no other plan by which there would be a chance of getting to the bottom of this matter my words had no effect with him i should not have so much cared if the officers of the jail knew who you were but i can see that if there is treachery at work this would defeat your object altogether what do you suppose this rascal greek can be intending that i cannot say sir john he may be trying to get an exact plan of the fortifications or he may be arranging some plan of communication by which in case of siege news of our condition and of the state of our defences may be conveyed to the turkish commander by this time they had reached the port and embarked at once on a trading vessel belonging to one of the merchants from whom sir john had readily obtained her use for a day or two 
Her sail was hoisted at once, and she rowed out from the port. Having proceeded some three or four miles, they lowered her sails, and lay to in the course a galley making for the port would take. A sailor was sent up to the masthead to keep a lookout. Late in the afternoon, he called down that he could make out a black speck some twelve miles away. She carried no sails, and he judged her to be a galley. It will be dark before she comes along, Sir John Boswell said. You can hoist your sails, Captain, and return to within half a mile of the port, or she may pass us beyond hailing distance. Gervais at once retired to the cabin that had been set aside for their use, and proceeded to disguise himself. An hour later, Sir John came down. He looked at Gervais critically. You are all right as far as appearances go. I should take you anywhere for a young Turk. Your clothes are not too new and are in accordance with the tale you are going to tell, which is that you are the son of a Syrian trader. If, as Suleiman says, you speak Turkish well enough to pose as a native, I think you ought to be able to pass muster. How long will that dye last? Because if it begins to fade, they will soon suspect you. It will last a fortnight, at least, so Sir John Kendall says but he has arranged that if at the end of ten days I have not succeeded in finding out anything, he will send down to the prison, and under the pretense that he wants to ask me some questions about what ransom my father would be likely to pay for me, he will have me up to the auberge, and there I can die myself afresh. How are you to communicate with him in case of need? His servant, Ahmet, who got the things for me is to come down every morning and to be near the door of the prison at the hour when the slaves are taken out to work if i have aught to communicate i am to nod twice and sir john kendall will send down that evening to fetch me instead of waiting until it is time for me to renew my die what is going to be said to harcourt and the others to account for your absence the bailiff will merely say that he has suddenly sent me away by ship on a private mission they may wonder, perhaps, but none of them will venture to ask him its nature. Well, I must say that you seem to have made all your arrangements carefully, Tresham, and I hope it will turn out well. I was against the scheme at first, but I own that I do not see now why it should not succeed, and if there is any plot really on hand, you may be able to get to the bottom of it. It was an hour after darkness had completely fallen when the regular beat of oars was heard. The ship's boat was already in the water, and Gervais, wrapped up in his mantle, followed Sir John out of his cabin and descended with him into the boat, which was at once rowed towards the approaching galley. Sir John hailed it as it came along. Who is it that calls? a voice said. It is I, Sir John Boswell. Pray take me on board, Sir Almeric. It is a somewhat special matter. The order was given, the galley slave ceased rowing and the boat ran alongside. Gervais unclasped his mantle and gave it to Sir John, and then followed him on board. I congratulate you on your return, and on your good fortune, in having, as your letter stated, made a prosperous voyage, Sir John said, as he shook hands with the commander of the galley. I would speak a word with you aside, he added in a low voice. Sir Almeric moved with him a few paces from the other knights. I am sent here by our bailiff, Sir Almeric. 
I have a Turkish prisoner here with me who is to be landed with those you have taken. There are special reasons for this, which I need not now enter into. Will you let him sit down here by the helm? My instructions are that he is not to mingle with the other slaves, and as there are reasons why it is wished that his coming on board in this manner shall not be known to them, I myself am to take him up to one of the prisons, or at least to hand him over to the officer sent down from that prison to take up the captives allotted to it. The matter is of more importance than it seems to be, or, as you may imagine, I should not be charged to intercept you on such an errand. Of course, I don't understand anything about it, Sir John, but we'll do as you ask me. He went to where Gervais had crouched down by the bulwark, beckoned him to follow, and walking aft motioned to him to sit down there. Then he returned to Sir John and joined the other knights, who were all too anxious to learn the latest news, who had left the island, and who had come to it since they sailed, to interest themselves in any way with the figure who had gone aft, supposing him, indeed, to be Sir John's servant, the lantern suspended over the poop, giving too feeble a light for his costume to be noted. A quarter of an hour later they anchored in the harbor. Some of the knights at once went ashore to their respective auberges, but Sir Almeric and a few others remained on board until relieved of their charge in the morning, an account being sent on shore of the number of captives that had been brought in. No thought was given to Gervais who slept curled up on the poop. Sir John Boswell passed the night on board. In the morning, an officer came off with a list of the prisons to which the slaves were to be sent. Sir John Kendall had seen the officer charged with the distribution, who had, at his request, not included the prison of St. Pelagius in the list. A message, however, had been sent to that prison, as well as to the others, for an officer to attend at the landing stage. In the morning, Sir John went ashore in one of the boats conveying the slaves, of whom some forty had been captured. Gervais followed him into the boat, and took his seat by the others, who were too dispirited at the fate which had befallen them, to pay any attention to him. When he landed, Sir John asked which was the officer from St. Pelagius. One stepped forward. This is the only slave for you he said, pointing to Gervais. He is of a better class than the rest, and in the future may be he will do for a servitor at one of the auberges, but none have at present occasion for one, and so he is to go to you. He says that his father is a merchant, and will be ready to pay a ransom for him. But they all say that, and we must not heed it overmuch. As he seems a smart young fellow, it may be that he will be sent to one of the Abergias later on. But at present, at any rate, you can put him with the rest, and send him out with the gangs. He is a well-built young fellow, Sir John, the officer remarked, and should make a good rower in a galley. I will put him in the crew of the St. Elmo. Follow me, he said in Turkish to Gervais, and then led the way up to the prison. On entering, he crossed a courtyard to a door which was standing open. Within a vaulted room, some forty feet long by twenty wide, along each side there were rushes strewn thickly. The others have just started to their work, he said, so that for today you can sleep. After he had left, Gervais looked with some disgust at the rushes that had evidently been for weeks unchanged. 
I would rather have the bare stones if they were clean, he muttered to himself. However, it can't be helped. He presently strolled out into the courtyard, where some other slaves, disabled by illness or injuries, were seated in the sun. Gervais walked across to them, and they looked listlessly up at him as they approached. You are a newcomer, one said as he came up. I saw you brought in, but it didn't need that. By the time you have been here a week or two, your clothes will be like ours. And he pointed to his ragged garments. When did you arrive? Are there no others coming up here? The galley came in last night, Gervais said, but they did not land us until this morning. I wish they had killed me rather than that I should have been brought here to work as a slave. One always thinks so at first, the man said, but somehow one clings to life. We shall die when Allah wills it, and not before. What is the matter with your foot? Gervais asked. I was with the gang quarrying stones, and a mass of rock fell upon it. I have been in the infirmary for weeks, and I own that the Christian dogs treated me well. A slave has his value, you see. I am nearly cured now, but I shall never walk well again. I expect they will put me in one of their accursed galleys. How long have you been here? Seven years. It seems a lifetime. However, there is hope yet. They don't tell us much, but we hear things sometimes, and they say that the Sultan is going to sweep them out of roads as they were swept out of Acre. When will it be? I know not. I am from Syria, but even there they are making preparations. The Sultan has had troubles in the east, and that has delayed him, but he will be here before long, and then we shall see. It will be our turn then. It will indeed, one of the others exclaimed. Oh, to see these dogs brought down, and suffering as we have suffered, toiling at the oars in one of our galleys, or at the fortifications of one of our castles, it will make amends for all our suffering. Had you a hard fight with them? No, we were but a small craft, and it was vain to attempt resistance. I would gladly have fought, but the sailors said it would only throw away their lives. There was but little on board, and they allowed the vessel to go free with those of the sailors who were too old to be made useful for hard work. No further questions were asked. The men seemed to have no interest save in their own misery, and Gervais soon left them, and sitting down in a shady corner, presently dropped off to sleep. In the evening all came in from their various work. The officer man who had brought Gervais in went up to the overseer of the galley slaves and informed him that he had told off the new slave, pointing to Gervais, to his gang. He was brought in by the galley that arrived last night, he said. He was the only slave sent up here. I hear that he had been set aside to be appointed a servitor, but there are no vacancies, so they sent him here till one should occur and I was ordered to make him useful in other ways in the meantime. I am two or three hands short, the overseer said. I wish now I'd sent in an application yesterday, 
for if I had done so, no doubt they would have sent me some more men. However, this fellow will make up an even number, and he is strong and active, though at present he looks sulky enough under his bad fortune. A few of the slaves spoke to Gervais as they were waiting for the food to be brought them, but the majority dropped upon the rushes, too exhausted with toil and heat to feel an interest in anything. The food consisted of rye bread, with thin broth, brought in a great iron vessel. Each slave had a horn, which was used for soup or water, and which, when done with, he had by the rule enforced among themselves to take out to the fountain in the courtyard and wash, before it was added to the pile in the corner of the room. The cool of the evening aided the meal in restoring the energies of the slaves. Several gathered round Gervais, and asked questions as to what he knew of the prospects of an early invasion of Rhodes. But as soon as the officer left the room, closing and locking the door after him, the slaves became for the most part silent. A few men sat in groups together, talking in undertones, but the greater number threw themselves down on the rushes, either to sleep or to think alone. Gervais was struck by the manner in which most of them lay, without making the slightest movement, so long as there was light to enable him to make out their figures. He himself addressed two or three of them, as they lay with their eyes wide open, asking questions with reference to the work, but in no case did he receive any reply. The men seemed altogether unconscious of being addressed, being absorbed in the thought of their far-distant homes and families, which they might never see again. Gervais walked a few times up and down the room, and as he approached a silence fell each time upon the groups of men talking together. More than once a figure rose soon afterwards from the ground, and as soon as he came along again, asked him a few questions about himself. As soon as it was dark, he lay down in a vacant space on the rushes. Shortly afterwards, talking ceased altogether, and there was quiet in the vaulted room. With the first gleam of daylight they were astir, and, when the doors were opened, poured out into the courtyard, where all had a wash at the fountain. Half an hour later, a meal, precisely similar to that of the previous evening, was served out. Then the overseers called over the muster roll. The gangs were made up, and each, under its officer, started for its work. Gervais, with the men of his room, proceeded down to the port, and at once took their seats on the benches of the galley one foot being chained to a ring in the deck, the other to that of a companion at the oar. The slaves were more cheerful now. As there was no work to do at present, they were allowed to talk, and an occasional laugh was heard, for the sun and brightness of the day cheered them. Many, after years of captivity, had grown altogether reckless, and it was among these that there was most talking. The younger men seemed, for the most part, silent and moody. You will get accustomed to it, the man next to Gervais said cheerfully. When I first came here, it seemed to me that I could not support the life for a month, that the fate was too dreadful to be borne, and that death would be most welcome. But like the rest, I became accustomed to it in time. After all, the work is no harder than one would do at home. There is no stint of food and it is no worse than one would have were one laboring in the fields. Were it not for the loss of those we love, it would be nothing, and in time one gets over even that. I have long ago told myself that if they are not dead, 
at least they are dead to me. They have their livings to get, and cannot be always mourning, and I have tried to forget them, as they must have forgotten me. Do you work hard? Gervais asked. No, we who are in the galleys are regarded by the others with envy. Sometimes, often, indeed, we have not to do all day. We bask in the sun, we talk, we sleep, we forget that we are slaves. But generally, we go out for an hour or two's exercise. That is well enough, and keeps us strong and in health. Only when we are away on voyages is the work hard. Sometimes we row from morning to night. But it is only when they are in chase of another craft that we have really to exert ourselves greatly. Then it is terrible. We may be doing our best, our very best, and yet to the impatient knights, it seems that we might do more. Then they shout to the overseer, and he lays his whip on our backs without mercy. Then we row until sometimes we drop, senseless, off the benches. But this, you understand, is not very often. And though the work on a cruise is long, it is not beyond our strength. Besides, when we are away in the galley, there is always hope. The galley may meet with four or five of our ships and be captured, or a storm may arise and dash her upon the shore. And though many would lose their lives, some might escape, and each man, in thinking of it, believes that he will be one of the fortunate ones. Take my advice. Always look cheerful if you can. Always put your hand on the oar when the order is given and row as if you were glad to be at work again, and always make a show as if you were working your hardest. Never complain when you are struck unjustly, and always speak respectfully to the overseer. In that way you will find your life much easier than you would think. You will be chosen for small boat service, and that is a great thing, as we are not chained in the small boats. Some men are foolish and obstinate, but so far from doing any good, this only brings trouble on themselves. They come in for punishment daily. They are closely watched, and their lives made hells for them. Even as a help to escape, it pays best to be cheerful and alert. We all think of escape, you know, though it is seldom indeed that a chance ever comes to any of us. It is the one thing except death to look forward to. And there is not a man among us who does not think of it a score of times a day. But small as the chance is, it is greatest for those who behave best. For instance, it is they only who man small boats. And when a small boat throws ashore, it is always possible that the guard may be careless, that he will keep the boat at the landing place, instead of pushing off at once into deep water, as he ought to do, and that in this way a chance will, sooner or later, come for springing ashore and making a dash for liberty. End of chapter 9 Recording by Peter Strom in Sabetha, Kansas December 27, 2018